Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organizational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast with Dan Mordup. And today I have the privilege of spending some time with Gavin Calver, who is the CEO of the Evangelical Alliance. That's all I'm going to say about him because he's going to tell us a little bit about himself in a minute. And um, you know, personally, from, from my from my church leadership roles, you know, I really respect and appreciate what the Evangelical Alliance does and just the role they play, you know, in the local church and in the national church. So I'm I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited to actually just spend a bit of time talking to Gab. You know, he's got a great story. You know, God's really used him and using him in brilliant ways. So yeah, looking forward to uh, to chatting with you, Gab. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Dan. Brilliant, brilliant. So just as we start off, Gav, tell, for those that don't know who you are and what your leadership life looks like, tell us a bit about yourself and what your life looks like. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a, married to an incredibly lovely wife, Anne. I've got two kids, Emily and Dan, 13 and 10. We live in northwest London. I lead the Evangelical Alliance, which is the largest and oldest unity organisation, seeking to speak up for, unite and represent two million evangelicals in the country. And outside of that, keen runner, big football fan. Previously, I did 14 years at Youth for Christ. And so uh, a, a varied experience of leadership, but largely focused on how you help lead people to Jesus. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, one thing to pick up on, football fan, please tell all, who do you support? Oh, same football team as Jesus. And <laughs> AFC Wimbledon. They, uh, why Wimbledon? Uh, well, Jesus loves the outcast, those who've been mistreated, those forced to live in exile. So no, I'm a big football fan. <laughs> There's some theological extrapolation oh. going on right there, but I get your point. I get your point. So, and um, obviously, we're recording this in you know in during the second lockdown. Yeah. We've had an interesting year. So, how's 2020 been for you personally, and and, and for the network around you? Yeah, I think bittersweet is the sort of way I've seen this year. It's been bitter because it's horrendous what's been going on. It's been sweet because the openness to the gospel has been profound. I think for me personally, it's my first year leading the Evangelical Alliance, which is a massive job. And I'm young to be doing it. I've just turned 41, so I'm young to be doing this job. And that's been really hard. At the same time, my leadership style perhaps has been what's needed to be able to move fairly quickly, to be decisive and to try and be brave and kind. When I took on EA, I felt the Lord say, you need to be braver than we've been before. You need to be kinder than we've been before. And that's the kind of leadership I've sought to bring. But it's been really challenging. Let's not pretend. Six months with the kids at home. That was challenging. Um, all of this Zoom stuff, yeah, it's it, it's intense. But I tell you something, um, you learn a lot more in the intensity than you do in the normal. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's very true. And, and how's that sort of translated for the sort of churches and the leaders that you work with? You know, how 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 would you say it's been for? Because you obviously work with such a wide yeah. range of individuals, of leaders, of churches, and network streams across the board. So, give us some insight into that. Yeah, well, I think firstly, they've all become broadcasters. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> the kings and queens of our churches are the techies. So that's been an interesting <laughs> season. Those that we normally just took for granted, we now can't do anything without. Yeah. Um, I, I think for leaders generally, I think there's been a challenge um, to their well-being. I think it's been hard. I think uh, a lot of Christian leaders are used to being listened to. You get the microphone, you have a crowd. I think people have missed the crowd. I mean, I'll be honest, I've missed the crowd. Preaching into your phone is not half the same as preaching on a platform. You know, so you've asked some questions about yourself. 
at the same time, it's only the style that changes. The substance of who we are, what we are, what we stand for remains the same. Except all that's happened is stylistically, you've had a fast forward. that's like 10 years and six months. You know, when I used to work with young people, you used to see youth workers drop away really quickly. Because on average, youth culture changed every sort of 12 to 18 months. Adult culture changed every seven to 10 years. So adult leaders were able to do the same stuff for longer and not have to innovate. This season, we've all had to innovate. And there's nothing more exhausting than innovation. So I think people are tired. I also think the church is in a slightly different place. It could be more exciting. And I think going forwards, we've got leaders now who don't just operate a set menu of church, but can offer a buffet because they can do the online, the digital, they can do the in-person. You know, we've got people with more tools in their lockers. This is just not quite how we thought we'd learn new skills. No, I mean, and that's a really good point. And I think, you know, I like that, the set menu versus the buffet, I like that. But I think one of the one of the challenges a lot of leaders that I speak to are sort of trying to wrestle through is that balance between do things go back to the old normal? I don't like this phrase new normal, but I'm going to use it one final time. Or is there a new normal? You know, is there is there a sense of, you know, we're moving into a new age of leadership and a new style of leadership, new communication platforms and channels and all the things you've mentioned. I mean, what is what's your perspective or sense of sort of church life coming through this? You certainly can't go back to whatever you perceive as normal. I don't think the nation can go back to what was. I think we're in a time of change. I think you think in your own life, any major, any major shaking, whether that was a, a geographical move, a job change, getting married, having a child, whatever it might be, you can't, however much you want to go back to how it was, you know, however much when you first have a baby, you think, why didn't I go to the cinema more before I needed babysitters? You can't go back. So we have to go forwards. And I think the, the only thing that remains unchanging is the Lord. And so we have to go forwards. We mustn't mess around with the substance of what we are, but we can't, we, we can't go back to what was. It doesn't exist anymore. And actually, the nation going forwards is going to have an economic ice age. There's going to be all kinds of needs for the church. And we can't just revert back to what was. At the same time, we don't throw away everything we learned from, the, from yesterday. We take that with us and we go forward. There's been all kinds of changes in this season, changing Changing spiritual temperature, the lost are more open than they've been. Changing church style, let's be honest, we broke Zoom six weeks after thinking we couldn't do online church. (laughs) Changing cultural narrative, we're not getting seen as as hateful as normal. We're being asked to be positive and contribute. But within that, we have to extend our prophetic imaginations for what's possible for Jesus. So we can't go back, but we're not going into completely unknown territory because we've been in this process of the change. We are part of the change. But the change is only style. We've got to get over this. We get so uptight about style that the word of God doesn't change, that the saviour of the world doesn't change, but some of the backdrop and the landscape around us does. That's really interesting. It's interesting you say that because obviously you deal with leaders from the youngest to the oldest, new and emerging leaders, right through to hugely established leaders. And I think we're all forced to sort of look at ourselves both introspectively and how do we communicate and how do we lead. Now, I want to just sort of change focus a little bit, Gav, and look at your life, because obviously you said you're relatively young for the role that you have, but, you know, God's used you in amazing ways throughout your life. So how did you end up in this role? You know, how did you how did you go from a, a, a young man in many years in Youth for Christ into, into what is a very significant role? Yeah, about, uh, about five or six years ago, my wife said to me, we were on holiday, you're too safe, you're too popular and you're too comfortable. And God didn't make you to be any of those things. 
I think right. change is coming. And I was like, oh, I don't want to hear this. I was leading Youth for Christ. Youth for Christ is the dream job because everyone in the church thinks it's a good idea. And also, if I'm honest, most people in the world who don't believe in Jesus think it's a good idea to, <laughs> to look after young people, to stop young people being naughty as they see it. We see it, young people meeting Jesus. But, but it was almost like the most socially popular Christian job you could do. And then suddenly um, this journey led to the Lord speaking quite clearly about the Evangelical Alliance, which is quite different to Youth for Christ in that sense. Um, and I ended up leaving YFC to work for EA, not leading EA. I went to EA's head of mission and evangelism. I had an interview for that and I said that they dropped the good news from Evangelical. So they said, yeah, we agree. We want you. Come and give us some good news. And that's been a journey. I did that for four and a half years. And then my predecessor, my dear friend, Steve Clifford, stepped down and uh, they, in their humour, gave me the role. So it's, <laughs> it, it's been a journey. It's been a process. Um, but more than what surprises me more is how did that, that young lad in South London came to faith at 18, desperate to see everyone in the United Kingdom come to Jesus, sometimes get told I sound a bit too common for some of the places I operate and step into. <laughs> how did this happen? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Jesus got hold of my life. And I said, there's no terms and conditions. I go with you. I follow you. Like the early disciples did, I follow you. I'm with you. And then I allowed him to pull, pull the strings. And that's ended up me being here in his humour and uh, for his glory. Brilliant. Amazing. And along that journey, you know, you, you, as you said, you've been in different organisations, different roles. What were some of the key leadership keys that God has given you in your life? What are some of those things that sort of you hold on to as a, as a, as a leader in the kingdom? Yeah, I think uh, I think the first thing is that um, never underestimate those around you and overestimate yourself. I think quite often um, I wanted to be the saviour. I'm not saviour, Jesus is the saviour. Um, and also pray for good people. You get good people around you. Goodness me, do they like you look good? And do you get to make the Lord be known? You know, but good people. It's all about people. Organisations don't have success. People do. It's all about people. Great. Beyond that, to love the Lord more than you love working for the Lord. At the end of that, health, being a healthy Christian is more important than being a good worker. Make sure you're connected fully to the Lord. And then the final thing for me would be brokenness. Um, until I was 25, my biggest weakness was an unawareness of any weaknesses. <laughs> then not long after that, my wife wanted kids. And after a few years, nothing had happened. And we found out, actually, I was told I couldn't have children. Now, God can move mountains. He's given us kids. Long story. But the same week I was told I couldn't have children, a 14-year-old in our youth group um, announced they were pregnant. And that whole process of realising that I was broken changed how I've then ministered. And when you minister out of brokenness, you have such a dependency on Jesus that it changes everything. And I think for, particularly for some young guys who are a bit sure of themselves, you need to realise that in order to be really used by the Lord. You know, let's be honest, it's why we get married, isn't it, Dan? If you never got married, you'd go through your whole life thinking you were never wrong. You know, so I think <laughs> we need to realise our brokenness, minister out of that, and then journey well with people and love the Lord in the middle of it all. And you can't go too wrong. That's amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And I think, you know, just one of the one of the really strong um, things about this next generation is they love the authenticity, those people being real, being who they are. And in our brokenness, that's where God uses us. That's where that authenticity comes, you know, and all those, which going back to, going back to something you said earlier is that we're almost forced in the season to be our authentic selves. We can't rely on a program. We can't rely on structures around us. We've got to be who God's given us to be and, and share the messages given us. So I absolutely love that. I think that's brilliant. I think along those lines though, let's be honest, leadership's tough. 
you know, let's be honest, you know, you, if if you knew everything you knew before you took it on, you know, <laughs> so yeah, you kind of think, would I really do that? But what's some, some of those lessons you've learned along the way, those big leadership life lessons you've learned along the way? If you were talking to your, you know, to encourage a, you know, a group of younger leaders right now, what are some of those lessons that you've learned? Yeah, um, never take yourself too seriously. You know, there comes a point at which you take yourself so seriously that you don't actually, there's no space for fun, there's no space for joy. If, if a leader doesn't have some kind of rhythm, they die. Whether you die inside or literally die, you, rhythm, is, rhythm is so important. Where are the outlets for joy? You know, for me, one of the reasons I go running every other day and I, until about a year ago, played football every week, you, you've got to find outlets. You've got, to, you, you've got to be able to have other things in your life than just what you do. Great. I think as well, I always worry about people that make themselves an island, have friends and have critical friends around you. I think if you know that there's someone with you, it says in the, uh, in the in Proverbs that blessed are the wounds of a friend. I've got some people around me that if they say stuff to me, no matter how hard it is, I take it because I know they're for me. And I think too often as leaders, we listen to the wrong voices, particularly younger. You said we're saying to some, some young emerging leaders, choose who you listen to, especially in this social media world. I mean, there's been some times where I've had 2000 messages of hate on social media in eight hours. And you just got to not, you just got to walk away from the phone. Walk away from the phone and ring your mentor. Let that mentor develop you. So pick who to listen to. Listen to them well. Keep going forwards. No, that's great advice. That's spot on, spot on. And you mentioned sort of, you know, mentors and, you know, listen to the right people. What, who are some of the leaders that you've looked up to or, or you know, whether personally or, or, you know, or in a wider sphere? And, or who have you learned from? Who, who have you really journeyed with this with over your life? Yeah, I have... Um, I always have coaches and mentors in my life. I don't understand anyone that doesn't. I mean, if it, throughout his career as a footballer, David Beckham was still getting coached on how to cross a ball, right? So let's get realistic. You've got to keep learning. But there's been lots, some come in for a little while, some last a long time. There have been some really significant figures. The most significant coach or mentor in my life has been a guy called Roy Crown, who um, I took over leading Youth for Christ from. Absolute legend. Developed me, put me on his leadership team when I was 23. And, and also kicked me into shape a bit. Roy was a tough love kind of guy. Then, then the other extreme, my last boss was Steve Clifford. He wasn't a tough love kind of guy. He, he, he was an arm around the shoulder. You can do this. It's all right, Gav. Come on. It was, so, so those different voices. They've then been um, a guy called Rob Parsons helped me a bit with my preaching, which is important. We toured together, tag teamed. It's a lady called Jill Garrett, who used to be the MD of Gallup, who's invested a lot in me in business and operations and systems and that kind of stuff. Always have people around you. And people around you that you want to learn stuff from. The, the, the kingdom is a treasure trove of people who've done stuff before. Why would you want to make their mistakes? Learn from them so you don't make their mistakes, you then make your own. It's like Mark Twain said, history repeats itself. It has to, no one listens. The church has to work generationally so we learn from one another and so that we can be all that we can be in Jesus. And I'll tell you something. I, I have never asked someone to invest in me and they've really said no. I think people are waiting to invest in people. I don't know about you, Dan, but I invest in quite a lot of people. Um, I don't want people listening to me. Great, great. I'll ask Gav to mentor me. I'm kind of full <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> but I invest in lots of people and it's a far greater joy, actually, than anything I do myself is to then see them fly and go further. The best people that invest in me are the people who Roy used to say to me, I'm investing in you, boy. Oh, he still calls me boy now. It's fine. <laughs> I'm investing in you, boy, because I want you to go further than I'll go. 
I've then taken that as normal and invested in a bunch of people with the same heart. That's fantastic. And as you said earlier on, you know, God is a God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, a God of the generations. And I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, so, you know, just to pick up on what you've said in my life, I've had so many incredible mentors and coaches and they want to you know that when they've got that heart of a, of a parent, a heart of a father or a mother, they want to help. You know, you want to invest in your children so they can go further than you. And that's that spiritual dynamic as well. And I think that's something that, you know, I love seeing in, in, in leadership circles, whether it's in the church environment, a business environment, in politics, is when someone that will invest in the next generation will take them under their wing and move them further. We did a brilliant podcast a few a couple of months ago now with uh, 2020 Change, which is uh, an organisation which takes underprivileged people in London and, and mentors and coaches them into the workplace. And they've, they've now got kids that haven't been to school, haven't got GCSEs, grew up on you know, the other side of the track, now working for corporate brands, but representing not only themselves, representing Christ as well through that. So absolutely, yeah, absolutely Amazing. love that. And I know that you guys have done a lot of work with emerging leaders through the EA as well. Yeah. So you've spoken yeah. about your personal journey, but I know you guys do that you know, intentionally with, with the Evangelical Alliance, probably more so pre, pre-COVID, but... Um... Well, you'd be, you'd be surprised, Dan. You know, my response to the fact... I read so many articles over the summer saying that the hardest age to be in this country was 18 to 25, saying that graduates couldn't get jobs. So in September, we launched for the first time, we launched a graduate scheme. I've got to find the money, but we've taken on 10 graduates. Amazing. Well, pay, into paid jobs. Why? Because, frankly, they're a great kingdom people with a lot to offer secondly if the church doesn't do job creation in times of need we've got problems thirdly you can take the youth worker out of youth for christ but you can't take youth for christ out of the youth worker when there's young people needing help i wanted to do my bit oh that's fantastic it's absolutely brilliant and that brings me nicely to my next question actually so what are some of your your passions and focus for this next season yeah my primary passion and focus is for the church to make jesus known I think we have an incredible chance in this season and post this season. What is different when you face COVID, but you face it with Jesus? Let's not pretend we're not struggling. Let's not pretend we're not hurting. Let's not pretend this isn't blooming hard. Let's not pretend we don't all know people that have died. But what is different when you stand on the rock of ages in the midst of the shifting sands of culture? So my biggest passion, my biggest dream for this season is we would take the opportunity to make Jesus known. I am an evangelist at heart and for 20 years, have been crying out for a time when the nation might turn back to Jesus. And right now, you have got people living with mortality salience, which is an awareness of their brokenness. It's normally in a war zone. People are aware of their brokenness. So they're asking, what happens when I die? What is there beyond this? Is there more than humanity? So my hope is we make Jesus known. My other hope is that we wouldn't just be involved in the spiritual rebuilding of this nation, but also the social rebuilding. There are lots of opportunities for the church to do great things in the next five to 10 years that the government and the state can't afford to do. So let's not pass on that opportunity. Let's not moan that no one wants our help. Right now, the EA's access to the corridors of power is greater than ever. The corridors of power want the help of the church more than ever. So let's make Jesus known with our mouths. Let's make Jesus known with our hands. And let's not forget a few wonders along the way too. Brilliant. No, fantastic. And if, and if you listen to this and you don't want to get involved, 
then you must be crazy. Listening to Gav <laughs> just makes you want to get involved more and help more and serve more and bless more. But that's that's why he's doing what he's doing. So I really appreciate that, Gav. That's brilliant. I mean, obviously, you know, as we said, it's been a tough season. But have you what good things have you seen this season? What what's encouraged you and sort of kept you going as a leader in the season? Because you've got, you know, you deal with so many different dynamics, but what's been sort of fueling the fire of Gavin Calver in this season? Uh, quite a few things, to be honest. Um, one of the amazing things is I've not missed anything with my kids because I think that's important. Normally True. you miss loads of stuff. I've not missed anything. So I've been well involved and that's given me life. And actually pulling away from the Zoom screen to have dinner with your children is really life-giving. In, in a more spiritual sense, um, I do think that the openness from the corridors of power, the desire for the help from the church, I've not been asked my view on a, a number of issues as much in this season as normal. Instead, I've been asked, how do you help us rebuild society? Wow. So I think I've been really I've been really blessed by some of the rooms I've been in, some of the people I've met. I won't name them. That's not appropriate. But got to all kinds of people that in the long term will really help as well. In the small, though, I've been so blessed by how open people are. I've been going to the same barber for five years. And every time I go in, I try to tell them about Jesus. I figure if you're cutting my hair, I get to talk to you about Jesus. I'm, I'm paying for you to listen to me. It's never interested. I went in about three weeks ago. I go in, he says, I am so pleased to see you. I've never wanted to talk about God as much as now. Wow. And you're like, okay, we'll go for it then, shall we? And he signed up to an online alpha. Now, now here's the thing. That season, you can't make it happen. You can't make the openness happen. But you can step in with the same stuff you'd have done any other time and actually speak deeper words of hope and of more people coming to faith in this season. I think in some ways, COVID has been a real awakening for those outside the church. For those inside the church, we've struggled because we've lost all the stuff we used to. But those outside the church have asked questions about the stuff they've never known. And so what's kept me going is the openness of the lost, the openness of the nation for the church's part to be played, and also the family moments. They'd be the three things. Well, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And so you've got, you know, what's come out of the last few minutes, a very clear, almost like prophetic sense from you as well, that we as a church are going to be rebuilding over the next few years. You don't see this as a short season in that sense. And I know there's the short term lockdowns and when are we going to get a cure and when are we going to, you know, all of the short term thinking that we have as a country. But do you really sense that? You know, there's a new season for the church to be involved in a fabric of society. It may be a way that it wasn't in 2019, 2018 and in previous years. Yeah, certainly the social benefit of the church is needed more than ever. If you look through the history of the church, from the abolition of the slave trade to the provision of education, to job creation in the face of recession, the stuff the church does in the hour of need is really significant. Now, if COVID is a wave, then the economic reality coming after it is a tidal wave. This is what none of us are seeing. We're just thinking, get out of lockdown, out of lockdown, out of lockdown. But unemployment, social needs, it's going to go off the chart, right? Now, I'm not wanting to be a prophet of doom, but what I'm saying is when that stuff gets worse, the church has a chance to step up. We're the only people crazy enough to consider it a privilege to help, to pay the bill for helping, and to thank people for letting us help. You know, and it's our <laughs> moment. So, so you'll find in your community, and I don't want to say what each community should do, because it's different community by community. But you'll find in each community that there's an open goal of an opportunity for the church. And here's the thing. Um, I, I don't think there's restrictions on sharing your faith and serving. I think the two go together. So I don't think that words and works debate will happen in this next season. I think the two go together because, frankly, the, the nation can't afford to rebuild everything itself. It needs organisations like the church. 
But therefore, the church can't afford to help rebuild the nation without declaring whose we are. So I think those two things will journey together quite, quite wonderfully. But I do think the next five to 10 years in this nation um, could be difficult. And into that difficulty, we share hope. Hope as a name, and his name is Jesus. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Thanks, Gav. Appreciate that. And last question, sort of coming to land now. I know you, you, you're a very, very busy man, uh, as, as we've established. But looking back at and, and you're, you know, before I answer say this question, you are still absolutely in your prime, ready to go. Many, many years ahead of you. But thank you. Looking back at your life and leadership journey so far, what sort of that one piece of leadership advice you would give your younger self? relentlessly pursue Jesus. All the other stuff is great, but relentlessly pursue Jesus. Ask him for an unquenchable desire for his word. Ask him that prayer would be as natural as any muscle. Ask him that you would get to know him better every day and be more of his likeness day by day and just relentlessly pursue him. Don't get overexcited about all the other stuff. All the toys and the fun and the excitement comes and goes but the Lord remains forever. Outrageously, wholeheartedly, and passionately pursue the one it's all about. It's not about you, it's about him. What a great way to end this episode of the podcast. Gavin Calver, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time and input. And for those listening to this, I know this is something going to replay time and time again. If you are listening, please share this. Please get this message out. Gavin's not just talking to me online today. He's really sharing a message for what we need as the UK church and as the global church. And there's some absolute nuggets about his personal life, but also a message for the church in this season. So, Gav, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. To be part of the community, join our close Facebook group and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Simply look us up at Wonderful Leaders and we'll see you there.